I hope that's your prayer to the Lord today. You surrendered all to Him and you want Him to make something, make new wine in your life. God is still alive, He's still at work. We serve a risen Savior and God has a plan. He's got a purpose in our day. Turn, if you would, in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 8 here in, in just a moment. As a church, we're, I think, entering a new season um, of studying and strategizing and seeking the Lord for His will and His leading for our church and missions in 2022 and beyond. And uh, just sitting there reading the words of that song, I was reminded there at, at home uh, yesterday, my son was, was tearing out the garden. We have uh, three garden spots that, that we got uh, plastic in and grew a lot of things in this season. Uh, but you know what? The season has come to an end. And uh, we didn't tear everything out. I should say, he didn't tear everything out because it was a terrible season. It was a beautiful season, a very fruitful season in the garden. But that season has come to a close. And uh, in order for there to be a garden next year that's going to produce something, some things had to be cleared away. And uh, for me, anyway, I feel like what the Lord's leading me in and to think about is the season to come. Not focusing on doing away with things, but just thinking about and praying about the season to come and what He wants to do in my life and in the life of our church. And uh, all month, really the middle three Sundays of this month, starting this Sunday, uh, tonight at 5 o'clock over in the Family Life Center, we're having a missions workshop, the first session of our missions workshop, and then the following two Sundays we'll follow suit. And we're thinking about the transformational church. And in these workshops, really, my heart in it is just for us to, um, to learn and to relearn and rediscover what missions in a local church setting should look like. What is missions? How does the church do missions? And we're going to kick that off really actually this morning uh, from this passage in Philippians chapter 1. We're going to dive right into the heart of a missionary's life and a missionary church. And my singular purpose today in this passage is in broad strokes for us to begin to frame what local church missions might look like. There are some principles here that I think we need to grab hold of. Now, Philippians 1, we're going to look at verses 1 through 8. This is not explicitly a missions passage, okay? But missions is implicit. It is all over this passage. Really, it's the fingerprint, if you will, of the book of Philippians. Philippi is or was a leading city, city in Macedonia up in Greece. And it was also a Roman colony. And the Philippian church, that is, those who were the original recipients of this letter, that church was founded in the wake of Paul's second missionary journey when he came to Philippi as a gospel missionary. Many years later then, after Paul had been to Philippi, after a church had been started, and he had connections with these people, he pins this letter, one of his warmest letters, from a prison cell. Now we don't know exactly which prison he was in. I think it was probably in Rome. But he's writing this letter back to a church. A church that his heart was sewn together 
with. Let's, let's read Philippians 1, verses 1 through 8. Paul writes, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. I want us to think today about a local church on mission. A local church that is on this mission. And the first thing I want to show you today comes right out of the background of verse 1. And that is this. A local church on mission engages in spirit-directed, gospel-pioneering works. Go to the next slide there. A local church on mission engages in spirit-led, gospel-pioneering works. This letter begins with those who wrote it. Paul and Timothy. And he says, we identify ourselves as this, bondservants of Christ Jesus. Now you know that Paul was originally a Jesus hater. He was a church Christian persecutor. He hated Christians and he hated Jesus. He saw it as a cult, as a false teaching, but something happened. Paul or Saul met Jesus. He got saved and he came into the church, the very church that he persecuted. And God over a season of years did a work in Paul's life. He became a member of the church at Antioch. And it was there in Antioch when God did something. He radically reoriented Paul's life. He called him to be a gospel pioneer. To be what we would call in modern day terms a pioneering missionary. You can find the story in Acts chapter 13. And we, in fact we talked about this, this just a, a few weeks ago. How the church at Antioch had gathered together. And they were praying. They were ministering to the Lord. They were worshiping, I would say. They were fasting and praying. And the Holy Spirit told that church, not just Paul, not just Barnabas, the Holy Spirit directed that church to do something. Here's what he said, Acts chapter 13. Set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have called them to. And then it says after prayer and fasting, the church laid hands on them. And it says this, I love it, the New, New, New American Standard. It says, they sent them away. It doesn't say sent them out. They sent them away. Hey, God has called you. You know, God calls people to various tasks and gifts us differently. He's got plans for us. And he said to the church, set aside these two guys and send them away. So that's what they did. We would call this commissioning of them in modern day missionary lingo. And the next thing we find is they've been booted out the door lovingly, but they said, go, 
the Lord has sent you. And he sent them away. Now, if that happened today, if we finished up this service with an altar call, we felt that God was commissioning some missionaries, and we got together and we, we laid hands, and we said, don't come back here anytime soon. God wants you to be missionaries. Let's say you're one of those. You find yourself right out here on Hawk Creek Road. Where would you go? What would you do? It's a great big world out there. And I'm amazed by this. The next thing we find in Acts chapter 13 is the two guys that sell to Cyprus. They go somewhere. They're seeking the Lord. But wherever they go, here's what they do. In general, they proclaim the Word of God, it says, and they preach Jesus. They tell people about Jesus. That's what they went to do. Where people had not heard the name of Jesus. They went and they told people about Jesus. And here were their happy results. Some accepted Jesus. Some of the Jews, when they went into the synagogues, accepted Jesus, became Christians. Some rejected. They went in other places. Those who were far away from God, those who were pagans, those who were idolaters, those who believed in thousands of gods, some of them believed in Jesus. Some rejected. Some hated the messenger and the message so much that they threw stones at them. They tried to kill them. They put them in jail. But this becomes... The mission of Paul and his various traveling companions' lives, these various missionaries, they go as gospel pioneers. You know what a pioneer does? They go to places that aren't really mapped out. They go to faraway places, hard places, places where Jesus is not known. Did you know that those places still exist today? They still exist today. And they need to hear about Jesus over and over. The Spirit opened doors. The Spirit closed doors. But these men, Paul and his various missionary teams, they proclaimed Jesus place after place, location after location. They preached Jesus to the rich and Jesus to the poor. Jesus to the educated. Jesus to the uneducated. They told men about Jesus. They told women about Jesus. They told young. They told old. They went and pioneered as missionaries telling people about Jesus. And it was not an easy task. This is not something you would dream up. This is something God dreamed up. We need to recognize that Paul and Barnabas, these first two missionaries from Antioch that were sent out, later Timothy will join them. This wasn't them being clever and thinking up things to do. This was God's mission. Did you know that God is a missionary God? We often think about mission work as being our work. It's what we do. Especially the Southern Baptists. We pride ourselves on missions. We're missionary people. Hey, folks, we're only missionary people because God is a missionary God. God is a sending God. He sent Jesus. Jesus said, just as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Followers of Jesus are sent out. God is a missionary. God is sending God. And He's a going God. Jesus went on mission. His coming to earth was going on mission. It's His mission. And we as His people are simply invited into what He's doing. And when we think about missions, we should see it, I think, as a privilege that God is inviting us into what He is doing. Acts chapter 16 it's the second missionary journey. So the first missionary journey ends. They, they go to all of these places, and they're excited. And they come back to Antioch, the church that sent them out, and gave reports. They gave reports 
of what God was doing in the various churches that they started. They have a break. We call it today a furlough for missionaries. And then they go out again because God had called them as pioneering missionaries. Acts chapter 16. Right before Paul comes to Philippi, the folks that he wrote this letter to, he picked up a young man who was a Christian to join his missionary team and his name was Timothy. This letter is written for Paul and Timothy to the church at Philippi. Let me just stop and say this. God doesn't just call old, experienced, theologically trained people to go on pioneer mission trips and mission work. He calls young people. God is no respecter of persons. Men, women, young, old. Paul and Timothy, I think they couldn't be more different, but they made a great missionary team. God doesn't call us out as lone rangers, but calls us in mission teams. It is a group effort. It's a church effort. And I just, you know, there's one thing that I want to get across today, and it's this. Gospel pioneers and gospel pioneer teams are still needed today. Now, the landscape of the world looks a lot different than when these guys set out. The gospel and Christians have not stepped foot in many places. And many places have been reached today. But you know what? People are still having babies. And there are still people who have never heard the name of Jesus. And Jesus made it clear. He came to seek and to save the lost. And He invites us into that work to make Christ known. We sang that first song about your great name. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the name of Jesus is the most important name? He has the most important thing that the people of all the world need. Do you believe that? Do you believe what the Bible says? That apart from Christ, no one can be saved and receive eternal life. Apart from Christ, we are lost in our sins. We are dead in trespasses. And we're doomed to an eternity in hell. Apart from the saving work of Jesus. You know what? There may be churches on every corner in the South. We live in the Bible Belt. And man, you can't hardly go a half a mile without seeing churches of various flavors. And so we largely think that oh, we're totally saturated with the gospel. The sad truth is that many, if not most, churches that have existed for a long time, maybe 30, 40, 50 years, you know what they're doing? They're sitting around in holy huddles and never running the plays that the coach is calling. Churches over time have this tendency to forsake the pioneering mission, the going, because of all that's going on within the four walls. I read today, just this morning, that it's estimated by missions experts, listen to this, that over 150,000 individuals die every day apart from Christ. And wrap your mind around 150,000 people every day slipping off into a Christless eternity. Some have rejected, but many have never actually heard a clear gospel presentation in their life. Those people still exist today. That is why gospel pioneers are still needed today. And it's easy to think about things like gospel pioneering works as like a mantra. 
as like a program we give to. But I want you to notice, and I, I, I tinkered around with that first word, engages. I tinkered with that quite a bit. I started with involved. Involved. The point being this. It takes people. Gospel pioneers are people who are called, who are sent, who go. It's engaging in the work. Here's what we generally do with missions. Oh yeah, let me get my bills. Let me, let me give to that. Somebody's got to go to that. It's engagement. It's engagement. Personal involvement and commitment. I want you to notice something in that first verse and then I'm going to move on. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. You know what that is? That's a slave. That, that's someone who has been bought with a price and says, wherever you send me, I'll go. Whatever you call me to do, that is what I'll do. And I think one of the first things we need to grapple with as we try to re-engage and rediscover missions in the local church is just for me to, to ask each of you, are you a bondservant of Jesus? Are you willing to do what He calls you to do? This is foundational mission stuff right here. When He says, who will go for us? Are you going uh, to sit back and say, well, that guy looks like a good candidate. Or are you like Isaiah, here am I. I'll go send me. When God comes knocking on the door of your heart about missions, do you say, I'm, I'm your bondservant. Wherever you say to go, I'll go. I'm amazed by the obedience of these early missionaries. They were sent out. God called them and they were sent. We need people in missions in the local church who have that kind of heart that Jesus, I belong to you. Wherever you send me, there I will go. And I have to say, honestly, as I'm writing out this sermon notes, am I willing to do that? Before I point the finger at all of you, I'll tell you, I struggle to say yes. And at this point, right now, if I sense God's call to go to India, and to be a church planter, would I just say, I'm packing my bags, I'm booking my plane. But that's the heart of these guys. Bond servants of Jesus. And really that's the Christian life. It should be all of us. Not everybody is called to go, quite frankly. We do know that. But if He calls, are we willing to go? The next thing I want to show you in this passage about local missions. So first of all, we, we need to see local churches engaging in pioneering missions. The church at Antioch was such a church. They sent out their members. They commissioned them. They supported them. But they told them, you got to go. Secondly, a local church on mission envisions gathering Christians into planted churches. A local church on mission has this vision of, hey, church planting, making disciples, Telling people about Jesus and then forming local churches. This letter is written to who? To the saints at Philippi. 
with overseers and deacons. It is a church. Churches don't just happen by accident. They're organized, they're formed, they're planted. If you drive down the road and you see an orchard and all of these nice rows, or you see a garden in nice rows, and you don't just wake up one day and that happens. Oh, look at here. No, no, they're planned and they're formed and they're planted and they're tended the same way with churches. Did you know this church has not existed since the time of Jesus? This church has not always been here. There were people who had a vision to go out and to reach Valley Springs, Arkansas, and to start a church, a congregation of gospel-believing, Jesus-following people, and to gather together. Do you know how the church at Philippi got started? It was on that second missionary journey. You can find that in Acts chapter 16. One of my favorite missionary stories in the Bible. Paul and Barnabas, his team, included Timothy. They come to Philippi and they're thinking, hmm, how do we reach people? Where do we go? Well, they assumed that there would be a prayer meeting down by the river. I don't know why. I, I, that's the theme of all these old gospel songs. Down by the riverside. So, so you gather down by the riverside. And that's where they go, down by the river. But they didn't find a prayer meeting. You know what they found? Women doing their laundry. That's basically what they found. Women doing laundry. If you go to many places today, you know, where there's not washing machines and all that, that's exactly what you'll find in the evening down by the river. It's people with ladies with rub boards. It's always ladies everywhere I've been. Ladies with Can you say amen, ladies? It's always the ladies. I don't know why. And uh, they're doing laundry down by the river. And here come Paul and his missionary team. I think it's actually Silas at this time. Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And they're like, well, there's some people. You know what they did? They threw down their laundry just like college kids do. And said, hey, do mine too. No, they didn't do that. They said, let me tell you about Jesus. And Paul begins to preach about Jesus. And there's this lady, Lydia, who's she's a merchant. She's a businesswoman. She sells purple clothes and purple cloth and all of this kind of thing. And, and then she's locked in to this message. She knew about God. She was a God-fearer. But she'd never heard about Jesus. And Paul proclaims Jesus and salvation and the fact that we have to repent and believe on Him to be saved. And you know what? She gets saved right there on the spot. And she's a go-getter. And, and she says, y'all are going to come into my house. You're going to stay in my house. This place, Philippi, needs to hear this message. She gets saved. Her household gets saved. They kind of set up camp right there in Lydia's house. And they go and they start prayer meetings. How do I know that? Well, it says they're going to a place of prayer in Acts chapter 16. And there's this little girl that's following behind Paul and them. And she's been doing it for days. And she has, it says, a spirit of divination. There's a, that is a demonic spirit that causes her to be able to say things and see things that other people can't see. And she... She has a master who's profiting from that. And this girl is following Paul and the missionary team and saying, oh, these are servants of the Most High God and they've come to tell you about salvation. This has been going on for days. And Paul finally gets irritated with it as they're going to a prayer meeting and says he casts out that spirit. And all of a sudden, the master realizes what's happened. His cash cow here, his source of income has gone away. And he blames Paul and these guys. And he stirs up the city. And they take Paul and the missionary team and they put them in jail. And you know what? When Paul and Silas go to jail, you know what they're doing? They're singing songs. And they're praising God even in that jail. A big earthquake comes and it rattles the foundations of the jail. And their chains are loosened. And I mean, it's just, a, it's just an absolute mess and a ruckus. And, and after 
The jailer realizes that the doors have blown open and the prisoners have probably escaped. He's going to kill himself because he didn't want to face what awaits him if he'd let the prisoners go. And, and they say, hey, 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 don't harm yourself. We're all still here. Paul and Silas and missionary team have such an impact right there in that jail. All the prisoners stay. And that jailer is converted. He says, tell me about this God that you serve. This God that you've been singing about. And he comes to Christ. And then he takes Paul to his house. And his family members are saved and they're baptized. You know what this is? This is evangelism. It's pioneering work. This is the foundation of the church at Philippi. After that occurs, the city leaders kept saying, man, this guy is messing up our town. Let's get him out of here. And they try to run Paul out of town. And he kind of plays with them a little bit. He says, but before I go, I want to meet with my people. And it says he encouraged them. He came and he spoke to the new Christians there in Philippi. Now, it doesn't say explicitly what he told them, but here's what I think. I think he encouraged them and says, now you are the pioneers. You are the gospel witness here in Philippi. You know what you are? You're a church. You're an ecclesia. You are a called out people. You are a kingdom outpost right here. And it's your job now to do what I've been doing, to tell people about Jesus, to gather together, to pray, to love one another. And now fast forward all of these years, Paul is writing not to just a handful of independent converts. He's writing to the saints of Christ in Philippi. This church has grown and they've organized and they have now elders, pastors, and they have deacons. They are a founded, full-blown, functioning church. That, I think, is what he encouraged them in. And part of the missionary strategy, part of what we need to be doing as a local church is to envision reaching people, pioneering gospel works, but also planting churches in those places that become self-sustaining, propagating, reproducing churches. Churches that see planting other churches as a necessity. This is so important to catch a vision for church planting. Did you know that you can go out of the Bible Belt here and just drive for about five or six hours, let's say to the west? And you'll go into some of these towns out west, and some of them big towns, some of them small towns, and in many of those towns, you will not find a Bible-preaching, gospel-believing church. There are places where you can go hundreds and hundreds of miles in places like Kansas, Nebraska, Colorado, all of these places just heading west that need churches to be planted there. Church planting is essential to the missionary strategy. Did you know I believe that God's design is to have these little kingdom outposts we call churches among every nation, every language, and even, he says, every tribe. You know what a tribe is? Uh, if, we, if we put it in American context, it's a, it's a neighborhood. Or maybe, maybe it's a rural geography. Maybe it's a county seat in a rural place. But we need to think about, are there gospel Jesus preaching churches among every tribe. And we should want to be a part of putting those kingdom outposts there. The point is, 
a biblically saturated, biblically faithful Christian missions strategy must include attention to church planning. The last thing I want to show you about local church missions, some things that we can draw out of this passage as we look at how the early church, how the Apostle Paul and his comrades did missions so that we can begin to frame out how we're going to do missions is we realize the importance of pioneering work, the importance of planting churches. Thirdly, a local church on missions. On mission invests in gospel partnerships and missionary support. If you look at verses 7 and 8, and there's a real pathos, there's a, there's a heart connection that you can feel almost tangibly between Paul and the church at Philippi. There's a love there. There is a shared history. Do you, do you sense that? Look at what he says. For it is only right, verse 7, for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart. You are in my heart since the first day that I came to Philippi. Down by that riverside when I met Lydia and to the jail. And then when we gathered together, and even when I left this place, you have continued to be in my heart, and I have been in your heart. And you have shown your love and the grace of Jesus to me. How? Paul says, you, spent, you stood with me in my imprisonment. What's gone on here that has precipitated this letter is the church in Philippi has heard that Paul is in prison. And they have sent a guy named Epaphroditus as a messenger, he's probably a pastor, maybe a deacon in the church. They said, Epaphroditus, we want you to go. See, prisons weren't like they are today, back then. Basically, you had to care for yourself. If you wanted to eat, somebody better bring you some food. If you wanted medical care, somebody better come in and care for you. And they sent Epaphroditus, probably with food, maybe with clothing, some money, maybe with medical supplies. And Epaphroditus has come to Paul to minister to his needs on behalf of the church at Philippi. And it says that Epaphroditus, he's almost died. You can see this in Philippians chapter 2. He nearly dies doing this missionary support work. To carry out this partnership and this show of love, he almost loses his life. I don't know if he caught malaria. We don't know what's going on. But he's been nursed back to health and he's about to go back and carry this letter back to the church there. But all of that to say, missionary partnerships where a local church has a personal connection with missionaries has to be a part of a fully orbed missional strategy. It's got to be. You know, it is so easy to think about regions. We can think about states. We can think about Kansas. We can think about countries where we're going to go and do work. But I'll tell you, we need partners. We need people who are missionaries, who are goers, or they're there on the field with ministries that we're partnering with personally where we have a connection. Did you know that research shows that one of the most important factors that helps sustain mission work in a local church setting and also gives Christians a heart for missions is that they know personally a missionary. They have a personal connection. We need to bring, be bringing missionaries in who tell us about what they do, who maybe we support them, maybe we just pray for them, I don't know, but we need connections. That's important. Missions and missionaries that we support and we partner with. Many people had abandoned Paul. 
had disputed the gospel that he preached, but the church at Philippi stayed faithful and they stood with him. Can you imagine being a pioneering missionary in Paul's day? Basically, this dude's like a nomad. I mean, he's got a team of people. He has, like Jesus, no comfortable place to lay his head. He doesn't know what awaits him in the next town. Could it be death? Might he be stoned? Or will he receive a greeting? Will there be many saved? Or will there be none? His shoes wear out. His clothes have holes in them. They have nothing, basically. They're depending on God fully by faith. But he's got other Christians and local churches that are partnering with him, caring for his needs. And I've heard it phrased this way. We as the church need to hold the rope for the missionaries. Maybe you've heard it like this. We need to grab a corner. Have you ever lifted something heavy and tried to do it yourself, but all of a sudden two or three come alongside you and everybody grabs a corner and the load is much lighter? We as the church are to grab a corner or to hold the rope for those who are goers. We've got to do this. We've got to support. If you've ever been uh, rock climbing or rappelling, and, and you've got that rope and it feeds through your little D-rings and all of that, there's a person that you can put down on the ground who if they grab hold of the rope, it is impossible for you to plummet to your death. Well, at least the, the connection holds up on the tree of above. And I remember as a teenager being enthralled with rock climbing and rappelling, and we did a lot of this. And I remember the first time I'm standing here on the edge of Mount Magazine. I'm like, are you holding that rope? And you got your best buddy, in, and you know what a goofball he is. And he said, now you, now you got the rope, right? I got it, just go. And you're here, and what they tell you to do is just lean all your weight back. And I'm looking, let's say, 30, 50 foot down this cliff. I'm going, now you got the rope, right? I've got the rope. <coughs> or they'll say something like, belay on. That's the belayer. Belay on. And you go into that risky venture. And if they hold the rope, you can't fall. You can't plummet. We as the church need to hold the rope for those who have gone. We need to support. We need to partner. And sometimes, you know what that will mean? is us going where they're at to help, to encourage, to refresh. Man, there's been an explosion of what's called short-term missions over the last couple of decades. And with an explosion of missions, I'm sure there have been some ways it's been done poorly. Some it's been done well. But there are a lot of people who question the validity or the value of short-term missions. Of people like from this local church gathering up, let's say 10 or 15 people, going to a place to minister alongside those who are missionaries in that place. I'll tell you, and I do think a lot of times really... We don't do a lot on short-term missions. Many of you have gone on those trips. I've gone on those trips. God has marked my life indelibly on some of those trips, done something among you know, a mission group. But here is one of the greatest things that I've found in terms of a value of short-term missions. Supporting those who are living in that place. For instance, I remember going to Uganda when our chairman of deacons in the former church and his wife and his young daughter had moved to Uganda to serve with the International Mission Board. And we went, I think it was sometime between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And, man, I, they were super homesick. They'd been there for several months, and 
And uh, they were seeing all everybody's Facebook posts about all their gatherings. And you know, they weren't gathering with their family because their family was in the States. And uh, we said, we're sending a mission team over. We want to come and just experience Uganda with you. We just want to come and see what you're doing and be a part of that if there's some way. We loaded up suitcases with things like Fruit Loops and Cheerios and Kraft macaroni and cheese because the Uganda version just, you know, is not the same. And all of these kinds of things. And I'll tell you, uh, I don't know how much good we did in terms of the mission. We were kind of more like tourists. If you want to know the truth, we saw the sights, tasted some experiencing, uh, tasted some interesting things, experienced lots of cultural uh, oddities. I got intestinal worms, and it was just a great trip. You know, but, uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you. Apart from the intestinal worms, it was a great trip. But here is what I think was the primary reason the Lord had us to go. It was just to go and to refresh and encourage those who had gone and planned to stay. Period. So a lot of people, as you hear people questioning short-term missions, here's one of the best reasons to do short-term missions. It's number one, to see what it's like, but number two, to just encourage and to love on people. I want us to be that church. I want us to be that Philippian church that has partners that we're praying for, we're giving to, and we're going when we need to go to come alongside them simply to hold the rope. I want to be that church. So these are just some broad strokes about local church missions. And, I, you know, I don't know what uh, Dr. Osborne is going to share with us exactly. I know the, the basic themes uh, that we're going to do in our missions workshop the next three Sunday nights. I don't know. He may say some things that contradict something I said. I don't know. But here's the impetus for these workshops, for us to, again, take some time as a church to be thinking about, strategizing, but praying about the Lord's leadership and what He would have us to do in terms of missions, starting in 2022 and beyond. Next Sunday, we've got a business meeting after our morning uh, service. We're going to be presenting first draft of our annual church budget. There's going to be some changes. It's going to include a brand new line item for missions. Okay, And one of the things I'll probably share more then, one of the things I've noticed as I looked at our budget and what we're doing in terms of missions, this is a giving church. A huge chunk of our budget has been allocated over the years to missions financial investment. But one of the things that I felt impressed about was, by the Lord, was we need to move from simply seeing missions as a financial investment to personal involvement or engagement. There needs to be a balance between those things. We need to be thinking about mobilizing you all and me to actually go, to do, to forge partnerships, to support Maybe it is that the Lord would call out some people right here from our own congregation to start new churches, to do new works, to go with the International Mission Board. I don't know. But I think we need to shift a little bit of our mindset away from just financial investment to personal involvement. And so in that budget, you're going to see some reflections of that. But what I would say is missions is not just for me. It's not just for a select few. It is a local church mandate. It's what the Lord has given us to do. So would you do this? Would you pray? 
Would you pray that God would use you and use us in whatever capacity He sees fit to engage in pioneering works, church planting, and mission partnerships? That's my heart. I think that's biblical. I think that's the road that we need to begin to travel down. But I really do want it to be this. I want it to be led of the Spirit. I want, I want us to do what God has for us. I'm confident that He's at work all around us, that He's uniquely gifted and called each of us to various types of ministry and missions in the church. Missions. It's time to re-engage. It's time to rediscover. It's time for us to humble ourselves before the Lord and say this, wherever you send me, I'll go. Whatever sacrifice I need to make, it's, it's a drop in the bucket compared to what Jesus has done for me. I'll close with this. One last thing I'd like to invite you to do is consider coming to our missions workshop. It starts tonight. What time? Five o'clock. Where? Family Life Center. We've got, I think, there's probably up to 60 people signed up at this uh, point. You don't have to make it to all three to come to the first one. Uh, if you have to miss tonight, you can come next week or the last week. They're all standalone, but they cover different aspects of missions. If you're planning to come tonight, please do me a favor because uh, we're going to be setting up tables and chairs specifically for this. It's meant to be interactive, and we're going to welcome Dr. Osborne to come and teach us. He teaches classes on missions. And again, he's not going to be telling us here exactly what we need to do, but he's going to help us, lead us down this path of strategic praying and planning and thinking as a church. But I need you to sign up. I need to know how many tables and chairs to set up. Right out there on the little uh, coffee bar, there's a sign-up on the, on the uh, bulletin board also where we've got the little candy drop-off. There's a sign-up, so just if you would, put your name and how many are coming. Uh, because I would hate for you to have to sit out in the hallway because I didn't set you up a chair, all right? So, so come uh, and let me know if you're planning to come. I'm going to, at this time, I'm going to close us in prayer. John, do we have any other announcements that you think you missed earlier? Got to come. You see, the, you see in the bulletin, we need candy. That's for us in the office to enjoy our work here. You know, it's really not. We need candy is what that says. And right out there, there's a neat little display. I don't know who made that. Maybe Sheila, I'm not sure. And really colorful and cool. That's for our fall fest. Fall fest. And here in the last Wednesday of the month, we're going to be reaching out, seeking to do missions in our own community and bringing people in and striving to connect with them the gospel. That's our mission statement. Connecting with God, connecting with people, connecting people with God. So that's what the fall fest. We're going to have a good time. Fun for the whole family. Lots of candy for us to share and for us to eat if you bring it. And reaching our community. Alright? Well, let's pray together and we'll be dismissed. Father, I pray that you would help us to refocus and to rediscover the mission that has never changed. Though the church has ebbed and flowed over the last 2,000 years in forgetting the mission and forging ahead in the mission, Lord, it's still the mission because you are a missionary God. And I pray that we would reconnect with your heart in that as a church. 
seeing that you have placed us here for such a time as this, but that you also, in your sovereignty and in your providential hand, Lord, you are planning to call people out to serve you in different and unique capacities. So help us to be sensitive to that, to your calling. Help us to be willing to go. Help us as a church to be willing to heed and to support and to help in whatever you've given us to do in terms of the mission of taking the name of Jesus, the greatest name, the only name that saves. Help the name of Jesus to be ever on our lips wherever we go and whatever our hands find to do. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Here to speak.